The Adam Crowley Show. Hello, Hey, I'd like to place an order for pickup, please. What's that, sir? Can I place an order for pickup, please? Everything's done at the window, sir. At the window? Yes, sir. It's fast food service. That's funny. I thought the flyer's window closed. <laughs> Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. was the strong safety beaten on the play. That is the fifth best player in all of the National Football League, Le'Veon Bell. Chew on this for a quick second. If I had said two years ago that Le'Veon Bell was the fifth best player in all the NFL, you would have said probably. That's about right. That's about right. We're going to get into this a little bit. I'm going to give you some news value. Not that there's not news value to my opinions, because there's a ton of news value to my opinions. My opinions have news value. That's why they're in the newspaper. But I'll give you the news value to what Le'Veon Bell said yesterday while he was revealed as the fifth best player in the National Football League to start. But just kind of chew on this thought, and then we'll get into it a little bit more with some meat on the bone. But how about now? If I tell you right now, Le'Veon Bell is the fifth best player you think Steeler fans have talked themselves into ah he's overrated like I, I've always thought this there's this there's way too much of a connection in people's anger and angst over how Bell has approached his contract negotiation and their feelings about him personally there's way too much of a connection between that and how they analyze him as a football player way too much I've written about that I've talked about that extensively like, I feel like there were probably more Steeler fans yesterday saying that Lev, number five in the NFL, is overrated than they were happy to see it. Am I right or wrong? 412-922-2874. I mean, I was, in fact, even surprised that he was that high. He was nine last year. I don't think he had quite as good of a season as he had the previous year, especially given the fact that he put up similar numbers in lesser games. But he went up. And A.B. went up. He was all the way up to number two, for crying out loud. And his season was a little bit more akin to what he had done the year before, but he didn't play the last couple games because of that injury he suffered against the New England Patriots. But I'll get more into the thinking behind that logic in just a moment. But let's get to the news value of what happened while Bell was being revealed as the number five overall player in the NFL. So... He's at a Benny Hanna when he finds out. He does this whole interview with the NFL Network. It's Kurt Warner and uh, Michael Irvin, and I don't know who the woman was who was the host. What's what's her name? Do you know who it was, Tom? It wasn't Carissa Thompson, but she wants to be. That's what I've been, that, that's sort of what I've been able to glean and gather. She looks enough like her that she's almost as cute, but not quite there. Anyway. Irvin is trying to lead Bell down the path. I feel like to get as much, like, if Irvin could have pinned Lev down, he would have said, you know what? Don't stop at 17 million. Ask for 20. That was Irvin's approach to the whole conversation. But Lev is doing this over, like, he's FaceTiming with them and they're pulling the FaceTime up on the big screen. And he's literally in the parking lot of a Benihana. I just went to Nakama myself last weekend. Really enjoyed the teriyaki chicken. The problem with one of those places is you can't get that smell out of your clothes for, um, you have to wash them three times 
before you get the Nakama or Benihana smell out of your clothes. It's just it's the way you, you commit to that when you go. So he's answering these questions. And along the way, Irvin asks him, what's going on with your contract negotiation? And this is what Bell says. You know, the people in the organization, you know, try to do what's best for them. And, you know, I'm trying to do what's best for me. You know, so um, it just we, we're, we're working on it. Um, you know, we're a lot closer than we were um, last year at this time, you know, and that's what I'm happy about. But, no, none of that matters if we don't get it done, you know. So hopefully we'll try to get something done, um, you know, and that's what I'm looking forward to. I got confidence we'll get it done, so um, I want to do it. So you're optimistic. You're very optimistic you will be in, in camp when camp starts? Yeah, you know, um, you know, regardless, that's what I want to do. I don't want to have a replication of what happened last year. Um, but, you know, if that came down to that, you know, obviously I got to do what I got to do and uh, take my stand and protect myself, you know, but I don't want to have to do that. And um, I want to go to camp and um, play for the play for the Steelers, you know, long term. Please, please, somebody get me in a position where I can protect myself from $13.1 million. Like, I would hate to see all those $100 bills fired at me from, like, I don't know, the Philly Fanatics confetti gun. I would hate for that to happen. Please protect me from $13.1 million. He's, and people kind of took that and ran with it. Like, hey, Bell's optimistic, going to get a deal done. You know what was never said in that soundbite? Uh, what he's willing to come down to. That, that was never referenced at all in that whole discussion. Like, he's optimistic. What, is he optimistic that the Steelers are going to come up to 14.5? He's made two different demands from what we've been able to gather. One was, okay, if you're going to put me on the franchise tag for 14.5 for one year, then I want it for the life of the contract. Then the other one was, well, since I catch so many passes, I want to be paid just as much as A.B. because I caught the ball for 600 yards and then I also uh, ran for 1,200 yards, so I should be getting paid what A.B. gets paid. And that was the $17 million one because A.B. gets $17 million. So the Steelers Steelers are not coming above where they're up to right now i'm surprised if those reports are accurate i'm surprised they got up to 13.1 what if Le'Veon bell gets significantly hurt this year and he note he has to go through whatever this rest of the season is and the offseason knowing he's not going to get 14.5 and knowing he could have had 13.1 average annual value over a long-term deal how is that going to sit with him now he could be great and play 16 full games and tear it up and get himself $15 million next year. And if he does, well, good for him. But what was not said in that whole exchange there with Michael Irvin and Kurt Warner is, I'm optimistic because. He was saying back in February, or actually, I take that back, even January before the Pro Bowl, that they were closer than what they were at this point last year. They've been at, we're closer to where we were at this point last year for six months now. And they're still at a sticking point where we're now, uh, what, less than a month away from when it's the, the the franchise tag or bust. That's July 16th. That's when it gets rescinded or he plays on it, and that's it. So they've only got a couple weeks to get over this, whatever it is, $1.5 million chasm, which shouldn't be as big as Lev is making it out to be. And he should just sign and come in if he's... If he's happy with thirteen, or if he's happy with fourteen point five, he should be happy with thirteen point one. All right. Now, as far as the importance of being a training camp, because you said a couple times during this interview, and you just heard it right there, that he is optimistic that he's going to be at camp and signed long term as a Steeler. Okay, that sounds good. 
It's one of the few times we've heard Lev say something that sounds good since, frankly, that interview that he had at the Pro Bowl in January. So a lot of people are finally, for the first time in months, said, oh, okay, well, this sounds like progress. So what about being at training camp? Why is that important to him this year as opposed to last? Um, so I got to, you know, obviously find a way to get back quicker, you know, maybe taking Ben to the side and literally just me and him one-on-one, him throwing me the ball, um, getting a single my old lineman. Um, that's usually what comes quickest, you know, to be honest, is me getting a single my old line rather than me, you know, running around with Ben. It's a lot of timing and things like that. So um, I think for me that was the biggest thing is my timing with Ben and um, us getting together on the same page. Now, I would echo that, and I think a lot of people who watch the games closely echo that as well, that where Bell was deficient a season ago, coming off the lag from not being a training camp, was more about his lack of production in the passing game and running after he got the ball and catching the ball in the right spots than it was in the run game. Maybe that's not necessarily reflected in the stats, but if you go back and watch the first four games before, or at least the first three games before Bell really got cranking, uh, the offensive line was poor run blocking as much as Bell was poor in finding the holes. And I think that there was more a lack of Lev doing what he normally does in open space once he catches the ball or getting to that open space in the first place, i.e. the passing game. That was more incumbent on him and Roethlisberger not being in sync. So I think Lev is right about that one. Now, another reason, and this is kind of a big reveal here, I thought, from a tactical standpoint. And... I don't know if this is Lev saying this with wishful thinking or what, but it's his opinion that working with Roethlisberger at camp is all the more important because he doesn't think he's going to run the ball as much this year. He thinks he's going to catch the ball more but run the ball less. Yeah, I think a lot of my touches will um, kind of be the same. I don't think I'll see less. I don't think I'll necessarily see more. Um, I think Randy will find you know, different ways to kind of give me some more open space, you know, allow me to – no use, you know, my, my moves and, and my strength, you know, of a space more so against DBs and things like that, except like going against linebackers and, and, and running in between the tackles. But I think my touches, you know, I may have more catches and less carries, you know, but okay. I think the touches will all be there. And that was a question about, from Kurt Warner anyway, about the comparison between Randy Feetner and Todd Haley and how the offense is going to look. That might be wishful thinking, just like it was wishful thinking to say he's going to get a contract deal done if the Steelers aren't going to come up anymore. For a guy who's about to hit free agency, I'm sure he wants to have space cleared out by James Washington and Vance McDonald over the middle of the field and uh, Juju Smith-Schuster and A.B. going deep and have the ball dumped down to him so he can run into, around, or pass to safety or a nickelback or be forced out of bounds or choose whatever angle he wants upfield as opposed to trying to hit the hole and run over linebackers. I'm sure that's what he wants. I'm sure that's what he would prefer especially since he's so hung up on how his receiving yards should be factored into the equation of how much money he makes. So I don't know if that's one of those things where Lev heard a little something and hopes that's going to be the case, if that's even been technically communicated to him by Randy Feetner, or if that's just kind of hope by assertion that's going to be the case for him. Now, this is the soundbite that made me laugh. Let's play this last one from Lev about what needs to be better for the Steelers this year. You know, but the Patriots game and the Bears game, those are inexcusable. You know, those are games, you know, we, we have to win and we can walk away 15-1 going into the playoffs. Um, and, and, you know, we're in a whole different ballpark, you know, and that's something we got to work on doing, uh, winning the games we're supposed to win, um, not necessarily looking past people um, or worried about, you know, who are playing the next week. You know, uh, I, I say I'm guilty of that too. Um, but, no, that's something we got to 
we got to work on doing. That soundbite is so effed up for so many reasons. Like, let's let's peel back the layers of that onion there, okay? So first of all, he said there was a long, that was like a, a little bit of a twenty second clip of what was like a forty five to fifty second soundbite, right? And at the start of the soundbite, he was talking about how they put themselves in a bad position. They should have been fifteen to one. They shouldn't have had to play Jacksonville in this in the first round, their first game, the second round of the playoffs. That was Bell's premise. Like we have to be better in the early part of the season so that we get home field and we don't get a really good team like Jacksonville on our field. Then why were you the one tweeting in advance that you're going to get beyond Jacksonville and get to the Patriots in the AFC Championship game in a rematch? Like, you just heard it in that soundbite there. He's, the Steelers lost three games. He called the Bears one inexcusable. He's right. That was inexcusable. He called a loss to the Patriots inexcusable? The Patriots have beaten everybody for 17 years in a row, especially the Steelers. How is losing to the Patriots inexcusable, especially when they did enough to beat the Patriots until Al Riveron came along? And he even acknowledged that earlier in the soundbite, so he contradicted himself there. The only loss, and this is the hilarious part, the only loss that Bell gave legitimate credence to, and he said this earlier in the soundbite was, well, Jacksonville just beat us. They beat us bad. And yet that's the team the night before the game you're tweeting about looking beyond? And then you're saying that's the biggest thing that the Steelers need to do better. (laughs) Does he listen to himself when he talks? Think about that wormhole he just wrapped himself down into there. I mean, he's right. They need to stop looking ahead beyond some of this inferior competition. And maybe that's part of the reason why the Lions game was as tight as it was, or the Colts game was as tight as it was, or when the Packers came here without Aaron Rodgers, why that game was as tight as it was, why they lost to Ryan Mallett a few years ago. I'll give you any number of examples. The, the, the Browns games being as tight as they were even week one when he was just coming back. But I don't know. I don't think they looked past the Patriots to anybody. The Patriots just beat them. And if you think that was a reason why you got bit by Jacksonville in the postseason. Why are you telling me earlier that that's the one team that really kicked the crap out of you to the point that, what, you forgot about it? How does that happen? Hey, even if you told me in advance that they took the Jaguars light going into that game because of who they were and they had no idea who they'd become in real time, that I would believe. But then when it happened, why were you and why was Mike Mitchell, why was everybody else so cocksure that they were going to beat Jacksonville and move on. 412-922-2874. And I wouldn't mind digging a little bit deeper in that topic. Maybe we'll come back to it. I want to get some baseball next with some, for uh, Sean Rodriguez. Some thoughts that I put together for a column today in the trib. But if you want to talk about it, just the, the whole notion of Bell being number five in the league, the fifth best player in the National Football League. And people, I think right now, there are probably more people in Pittsburgh are saying he's overrated than he deserves it because he's asking for too much money. There shouldn't be a correlation, but I think a lot of people are making it. Are you? 412-922-2874. Tim Benson for Adam. Tom, you're a lot more hip and young than I am, which means I just assume that you're on the internet nonstop, right? All day, every day. All day, every day. Are you as bad at the internet as I am? No, I'm really good at the internet, Tim. I'm bad at the internet because I allow the internet to distract me. 
Like, I just... Oh. I go in 18 different directions when I'm trying to do one thing. Like, the internet has made me so stupid. I can't... It, it's actually given me ADD. I didn't have ADD before, but I do now. I didn't know you were talking in that way. Like, I fall down rabbit holes all the time, where you start to research one topic, and you end up 18 topics away. Yeah, and then I look at my browser, and I've got 14 different windows open. I can't find what I was originally... I, I spend more time looking at my browser saying, where was I going with this? I just confused myself into oblivion. I, I just did it for, how long was that commercial break? Five minutes and 57 seconds? And it was all you just going down internet rabbit holes? Yeah, well, because I locked myself up on the internet. I had to restart. I mean, we have this much bandwidth in this building to begin with. And of that this much, only one quarter of that, one tenth of that is probably allocated for our radio station, wouldn't you say? The rest is for DVE, and then we just kind of scramble for everything. It's been great being on DVE this week. Like, I get the big chair, I get the big studio, I get the big bandwidth, I get... Oh, it's like... Oh, thanks, Tim. It's like being in a posh palace. What are we? Me? What? Like, I didn't... Don't for answer eight, that. Don't for answer eight that. years right next to DVE studio. Like, I didn't live with... I didn't live with that daily. I didn't bring that into work and leave that leave this building with that on my shoulders every day, right? What about when I did two shows? When I did the morning show and then up here when I was with Joe Bendel on the same day. You're basically doing two shows this week anyway, right? I am. We're yes. the morning show I, I'm today back too. to those hours and then I'm writing <laughs> for the trip in between. So anyway, like I was I was just bringing up some notes here that I'd put together for the uh, Sean Rodriguez piece that I did for the trip. And then I got distracted because I noticed that did you see the Hall of Fame thing came in. The Hall of Fame no. balloting came in for the NHL. I did know this before, but I was, I was trying to find some details about Jim Rutherford not getting in like what are they waiting for? Does he have to retire? What what needs to happen? Like if you're a general manager, can't you just go in when you've hit a certain amount of accomplishments? Like if you're a coach in the NFL or you're a general manager in hockey or basketball or vice versa, whatever, I I don't know why your career in the eyes of some like does Belichick need to win any more to get into the Hall of Fame? Does Kevin Colbert need to win any more to get in the Hall of Fame? Like Jim Rutherford, as Jonathan Bambouli wrote for our paper, is the only guy in the expansion era to win a cup with multiple teams. He's won two cups with one team. He has three already. If you go back to Carolina, can't he just go in? Like you're in, go. You don't need anything else, do you? I mean, how old is he? Like he's got to retire from a job where there's no physical taxation. Then what? Wait a certain amount of other years. That's I don't think that's the rule. That's not the case. Obviously it isn't because we're waiting to see if he could get in. But the whole mentality of it, if people are waiting for him to retire or waiting for a coach to retire, why would you have to? That seems dumb to me. You know, and even for certain players, like once you hit a certain amount of, I think, am I wrong on that? Is Tom Brady not going to go to the Hall of Fame? Like, like why right, can't he exactly. Right now, like, exactly. After you. Play 10 years in the league. Maybe you should be eligible. Because they waived it for Mario, right? I, I think it's silly. I think it's dumb. But anyway, um, what took me down the rabbit hole beyond following that, then I fell into like kind of a penguin rabbit hole. Because right next to that, on our paper, we've got, um, on our webpage, I should say, you can't really vote on a web poll on a piece of newspaper. We're not quite there to that technology yet. But we've got this trib poll right next to the story about Jim Rutherford not getting in. And, uh, by the way, Willie O'Ree is going in. Martin Brodeur is going in. Um, I don't know if his wife or his sister-in-law or whatever will be accompanying him into the Hall of Fame. 
Remember that when he was Uncle Dad? Oh, yeah. They, they've got to put that on his plaque, don't they? Like, Uncle Dad was inducted in 2019, right? That's, that's got to be the way it goes. Yes, the best is to that progressive commercial, too, with Rodor, and he's like, oh, I take the family out on the road trip. Well, he talks about his midlife crisis. That's so weird. Such a weird commercial. Isn't it? Yeah, uh, the family like, How did the he approve part. that script? Have you ever watched that and thought to yourself that exact question? Because cross, that crosses my mind every time I see it. If he's just like, guys... This isn't a good idea. First of all, weird choice for Enterprise, don't you think? Like, yes. Is Martin Brodeur a tangible enough celebrity at this point that he's going to hawk your rental car? And then for him to talk about the midlife crisis and have that background that everybody associates with him anyway. And for the record, Sean Avery lab- labeling him Uncle Dad is probably the greatest. Like Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, renowned as the best smack talkers of all time. That is up. That's an elite slap right there. Elite and um, I just I can't watch that with a straight face. Like, how does he say that's okay? How does his agent say, "Hey, you know what? Might want to tweak the script here. Might want to leave the line about the midlife crisis out." I did urinate next to him in a bathroom once. How was that for you? Same sort of thing, actually, because <laughs> yeah, uh, he comes in. This was at Atlantis, you know, the the resort yes. in the Bahamas. When I went to go see Syracuse play in the Battle of Atlantis, they won it a couple years ago. I was down there for it. And he was there. Halftime, the Syracuse game rolls around. And it's a really weird setup. Like, you could picture, you could pick, make this entire tournament at the David L. Lawrence Convention Center, it's, the way it's laid it's out. It's in a hotel, right? It's, it's in a ballroom. Ugh. Like, you can almost reach up and touch the ceiling. It's in a ballroom. That's why it looks so weird. And they got those crazy blue lights against the back, yes. the black backdrop. That's why it looks so weird on television. It's like being the David L. Lawrence Convention Center. So you walk out through those double doors that open up, that push open. They've got the partitions that peel away to make it smaller or bigger. And you just walk out, and there's four bathrooms here, four bathrooms there, kind of like a quasi-bar set up in a corner, just like it would be if it was a wedding reception or something to that effect. And you wa- and So I walk in. I'd seen Brodeur walking around a couple times. I don't know why he was there, but he was there, and he took the kids to the basketball game. And the kids are running around. And I had the first thing ran through my mind was, uncle or dad? <laughs> I'm looking at the kids. I'm like, I assume those are his kids. They're not nieces or nephews. But which marriage? Which which one is this from? It's just it was weird. That's all I thought, and that's what all I think about whenever I see that commercial. Doesn't make him not a first ballot goalie, by the way. He of course is a first ballot goalie. But the the poll that was next to the Hall of Fame post from Jonathan Bombouli was this: Which Penguin player do you think is most likely to be traded in the next week? And I think the fans got it right. Shiri at 33%, Hunwick at 18%, Kessel at 15%, Broussard at 11%, then Haglin. And after that, they got Jari, Mata, Rust, and I guess the Rust votes all uh, took place before he got the contract extension. Although that doesn't mean he can't be signed. That's actually kind of a movable contract, to be honest with you, especially with, you know, raising tide raises all boats or whatever and being associated with the Penguins. Uh, they could move that deal, I would think, because if he hit free agency, it's not like he wasn't going to get somewhere in the neighborhood of 35 but this, uh, I think a lot of people are thinking with their hearts on Hunwick. I don't know if they can move Hunwick. Uh, who's going to want him? And if they move him, it's going to be for like a seventh rounder, tops. I, I, I think that's a lot of people saying, I hope he's traded. Kessel ain't moving at this point. Mike Sullivan didn't say what he did and come to the fence of his relationship with Phil Kessel only to spin around and move him before free agency. So those 15% of the votes, I flush there. Sherry, Hunwick, Broussard. 
are the three guys. And, and Jari, he only got 5% of the vote. I could see Jari being somebody who moves, too. All those guys, the ones that I see, are likely candidates to still be moved, and I don't put Kessel in that mix anymore. 412-922-2874. Tweet me, at Tim Benz, PGH. This all started because I was looking up some notes about the uh, S-Rod column that I wrote for the Trib, and we alluded to this yesterday. And it just it sort of struck me in our conversation, and then when I wrote the column itself, that Lance Lysowski is going to come on with us next from DKPittsburghSports.com to talk about the Pirates and where they sit. But it is just amazing to me that it's taken S-Rod to make Pirates fans care again. And that care has manifested as rage, but it's happened. S-Rod has become Lightning Rod. That's what he is. Like You bring up his name these days, and it's like saying Derek Bell in 2001 or Cordell Stewart in 1999. That's the kind of reaction you get from Pirates fans. You know, it takes a lot for X's and O's to get emotions going for Pirates fans lately. Management isn't trying to win, so why should fans care if the team does or it doesn't, right? But no self-respecting team should give a hitter this bad so many plate appearances. Rodriguez has played in 53 of the Pirates' 78 games. He has 137 plate appearances. That's too many. And that's why Rodriguez is forcing Pittsburgh baseball fans to wake up angry once more. He wouldn't be on a team that's trying to win. He'd be designated for assignment. A club even feigning an attempt to compete wouldn't dress him. The numbers are staggering. Like, I gave you some of those eye-popping numbers about how bad the Pirates were against the Diamondbacks. These are just as bad. There's 147 National League players with at least 125 plate appearances. His batting average is last at 145 amongst that group. His war is 0.5 offensively. That's 134th. OPS, 142. Separately, OPS and slugging, each 142 and 142. Out of 147... He has eight extra base hits versus 46 strikeouts. One hit in June and two since May 19th. He's not even fielding well. He had been an above-average defender at many positions that he played. This year, he's already got five errors. He totaled three, seven, and six in each of his entire previous three seasons as a Pirate and at times at Atlanta. You know, so for a team that loves to justify any move it makes based on metrics... There's no statistical metric that justifies his continued use. The argument for playing him as much as he has been out there is that there's no other big league options to rest Jordy Mercer and Josh Harrison. For instance, Clint Hurdle was so maniacal about getting Mercer his rest on Sunday that he refused to pinch hit for Rodriguez at shortstop in the eighth inning down 3 nothing. He bounced into a double play. Hurdle said he was too concerned about the game going extra innings and Mercer's day off would have then been burned, but who cares? Rest Mercer the next day. The season is 162 games long. Everybody's rest schedule gets thrown off. Look at Dickerson. He had family leave. Look at Cervelli. Got a concussion. The time for rest will find itself. Just like outs seem to find Rodriguez. Even Frazier, more off. These guys have better OPSs than Rodriguez. What they lack in range at shortstop hasn't been that far off from Rodriguez, and they likely could make up for that minimal difference in the batter's box. Give Kevin Newman or Kevin Kramer a look. Fast-track Jung-Ho Gung's return. Can't be worse than what we've seen from Rodriguez. And Huntington said they wanted to give Rodriguez a cluster of at-bats to get him back on track. Oh, it's a cluster something. You know, if, if it was for the right reasons, and this is why Rodriguez's name does to Pirates fans what it does. 
If it was for the right reasons, fine. Even if it was to warm up to trade him, I'd accept that. But that's not the case. Rodriguez is playing simply to justify a $5.75 million salary. The baseball reasons, such as they are for trying to get his game right, aren't even pure. It's a hope that Rodriguez at least is going to get back on track to the point that he continue to bounce around the field for you know a moderately replicated major leaguer once Harrison and Mercer and Freeze and Dickerson all get traded. All or at least one of those guys will be traded by August 1st. That's what draws the ire of Pirates fans. It's not just Rodriguez's performance, but the reasons for his continued insertion into the lineup. Defenders of Rodriguez say that he's a whipping boy. He's low-hanging fruit. He's only a small percentage of the problem. He's a good guy. He tries hard. He's getting picked on despite a gutted return from a bad car wreck. For everybody who says that, you're right. But let me also say, so what? Fan and media attacks against Rodriguez, they're not personal. He's just a target to aim at while swinging with anger at what the team is doing from a management perspective. S-Rod is the punching bag, but the faces of Hurdle and Huntington and Coonley and Nutting are taped to that punching bag when people hit it. Lance Lysowski next. We'll talk about it with him. Pirates beat writer for DKPittsburghSports.com. Joining us right now on the show, it's Lance Lysowski, beat writer for DKPittsburghSports.com. He covers the Pittsburgh Pirates. Tim Ben's in for Adam. Lance, good to do this again. It's been a while. I know, Tim. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Like uh, old times here. How's life? Uh, it's doing well at City Field, so in uh, beautiful Queens. You know, that's the stadium where I grew up watching baseball, professional baseball anyway, because as a Pirate fan, I could. it was really hard to get to Pittsburgh for lots of games growing up in Connecticut. So I used to see the Pirates and Mets play all the time at Old Shea. I have yet to go to New City Field. Had Beautiful, you, actually. Had I'm, you been I'm at both? What do you think of the new one? I really like it. I really like it. I know that Shea had maybe had more personality, and this kind of looks like some of the other modern ballparks. But It had no uh, personality. It, well, actually, I take that back. It had personality, <laughs> and it was a bad personality, and so did most of the people who inhabited it, as I recall. <laughs> I can imagine. Did I tell you, this is an honest-to-God story. My introduction to marijuana was sitting way high up in the right field stands wearing a pirate hat as the Pirates, a rare time the Pirates were beating the Mets in the 80s, and some guy flicked the joint like it was about to go out and hit me right in the back of the head. I said, Dad, that guy threw a cigarette at me. He said, it's not a cigarette. It did smell <laughs> funny, Lance. I can tell you that. <laughs> what an experience. And like, hey, I guess it's better than that than getting hit with a beer bottle or a beer can, for that matter. Joe Orsolak had a great day that day. I can tell you that, Lance. <laughs> Joe Orsolak was fantastic. Um... So, Lance, last night the batting order gets changed around, and it seems to uh, definitely pay off. What did you think of what Hurdle put together before the game, and what did you think coming out of the game? Well, it makes a ton of sense. I know that Hurdle resisted moving Starling Marte to the leadoff spot, but, I mean, the guy's getting on base, and he can he can be a threat on the base paths. You know, with him running, that also leads to more fastballs for other Pirate hitters, and the Pirates have done pretty well against fastballs so far this season. So, you get Josh Belmore looks on fastballs. Tonight will be Austin Meadows batting second. Josh Harrison batting over 400 with men on base this year. He just didn't have anybody on base to, you know, to drive in. So it makes sense to put him third. There, there will be some moving parts like tonight. Meadows is going to bat second, but it has to be an encouraging sign because it just, 
you know, it just wasn't working out with Josh, Josh Harrison batting leadoff and Marte third. You had to shake something up. I know it's not a cure-all, but at least there's a foundation there. So where's Bell tonight then? He's out of lineup, day off against a lefty, which makes sense. He hasn't done as well against lefties. Jose Osuna's starting and playing first base. Osuna did really well against lefties in AAA, so give him a start, give Bell a day off. So. Because we don't want him to get hot after hitting that homer yesterday, right? Exactly, I know. He hasn't hit for almost any power as a right-handed bat. So, again, I, and they have an off day on Thursday, so I guess there is there is a reason to maybe question the decision. And S-Rod is not playing? Sean Rod is not playing. Jordy's in the lineup again. Okay, so that's good news. Uh, let's go to that because I wrote about him today in the Trib, and I'm sure you've written about him quite a bit, and at least the fans' reaction to him it's not all his fault, Lance. I know that, but he embodies a lot of things that's wrong with the with the Pirates right now, and I think that's why the reaction is what it is about him. Would you agree? I, I would agree with that. I do also think that they had to give him an opportunity. You made the trade last year. You're paying him as much as you're paying him, and Neil Huntington went out on a limb to acquire Sean Rodriguez to, to try to get the 2016 version of Sean Rodriguez, but it hasn't worked out. It hasn't worked out, and now it's time to, to pull the plug or find a uh, find a solution. They're going to be stuck paying that salary anyways, but they, can they afford to continue putting him out there with the strikeouts and with the poor defense? I mean, Max Moroff is, a, is an upgrade at this point. I know there is value to having Sean Rodriguez in the clubhouse. I understand that. The work ethic is there, but the production is not, and you have a talented roster that proved it can – be an above 500 team and you can't continue to uh, to trot him out there and it just it just doesn't make any sense to me anymore and you know a move be coming soon i know neil huntington in toledo watching triple indianapolis so make of that whatever you will i would agree with a lot of that lance i don't know about proof that they're above 500 team i know they got there for a while i just feel like they played they're talented about... you think they're talented they're... I think they have found. I think they, this division's not playing well, Tim. I mean, the Cubs have not met expectations. They've, had, they've dealt with a lot of injuries. The Cardinals aren't a good baseball team, in my opinion. So there is a window there. And the Brewers aren't that great either. There is an opportunity there where this team, if they put it together again, there's a lot of reasons why things have gone wrong for, for a number of players. I don't know if Francisco Cervelli will be able to stay healthy, but I think the, the pieces are in place for them to be a heck of a lot better than they played the last 35 games. I know that. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's hard to play worse than what they have. But I'll... Yeah. See, I'm not saying they're a playoff team, but I'm not saying that they're they're among the worst in the National League. Well, well actually, you know what? I'll, I'll take what you said. And actually, I think you make a better case for why they might be a playoff team than why they're talented. I mean, if you're you're giving me a lot of reasons why you think they can stay afloat if they start playing better, but the overall nuts and bolts of what's there on the team, I'm still not all that impressed with. I can understand that, and the defense is terrible in the infield in particular. So, and the starting pitching is what it is. It's wildly inconsistent. And they don't have a good bullpen, so. But I, I like the outfield. I think Gregory Polanco's played really well this month, as much as everybody wants to, to ignore the numbers. So I think there's more there, obviously. But I'm interested to see how they, if get rid of Sean Rodriguez, who do they bring up? If it's Jung Ho Gung, if eventually Kevin Newman comes up, how this thing comes together? But no, they're not going to make the playoffs. I'm sorry. Who do they like better, Newman or Kramer? Um, two different players, really. Kramer's got the power. Newman can, you know, can hit for more contact. I think the upside is greater with, with Kramer, and he's showing it right now in AAA. I mean, he's on quite the terror this month. Uh, he'll be, I don't think he'll be up at any time this season because this is his first year in AAA, but might be seeing Newman pretty soon, I would think.
They have more off playing a lot of outfield of late, I've noticed, in Indianapolis. Is that just because they're out of spaces in the infield and they don't want him to rot on the bench or what? Exactly. I mean, they, they, and they're, they're kind of short on outfielders for AAA at the moment. Jason Martin will be called up, so Max Moroff will, will get moved back to the infield at some point. And honestly, I think Max Moroff's going to be playing the infield in Pittsburgh sooner rather than later because Joe Nogung's not performing well enough to take Rashawn Underhuis' the spot quite yet. And Moroff would be, well, Pretty much, you know, I guess a placeholder in the interim. Again, Lance Lysowski is our guest from Queens. He's there covering the Pirates and the Mets for DKPittsburghSports.com. Lance, uh, regarding the uh, – what you talked about with the starting pitching, and, and that has become quite a problem for them of late, although I thought – like Tyon fought through it yesterday – uh, Williams maybe pitched above his head earlier in the season. Cool goes tonight. I, I know this. Every time I write something positive about a starting pitcher, he blows up the for the very next start. I've had that Midas touch so far this year. Uh, what have you seen in the roller coaster reactions? Is there a thread as to why these guys can't seem to string together a lot of momentum? Well, it seems like the problem is they're terrible early in the early in games. I mean, Tylen walks two in the first inning last night. It managed to get out of it, but he's been bad in the first inning this season. Chad Cool imploded early last start. When Trevor Williams has been bad, it's been early in games. They've found a way to kind of right the ship as the game goes along, which I guess is a testament to the catching, to the coaching staff, pointing to these guys, hey, you're doing this wrong, here's this adjustment. But what what contending team or what? how many teams in Major League Baseball have to deal with that? I just You cannot have starting pitchers that can't figure it out from inning one and have consistent starts. I mean, Nova's been their best starter as of late. I think there comes a time when you have to realize that is this rotation good enough? It's not. Nick Kingham's in AAA right now doing extremely well. Nine strikeouts again yesterday. So something's got to give at some point where they're going to have to give Kingham an opportunity. Just right now, nobody has pitched their way out of the rotation quite yet, but do you want to continue to just be average to below average? I just don't think you can afford to do that for much longer. Starting with Glass now coming in and ending with Vasquez pitching what Clint Hurdle called the best performance of his season, how did you interpret what you saw from the bullpen yesterday? Well, what Glass now serves up a four-seam fastball right down the middle for a three-run homer. Stephen Brault's still walking too many batters. You can't get away with that in the major leagues. Uh, he found a way to kind of walk the tightrope and get out of it like he did last night with getting a double play and a strikeout ball well out of the zone to Bautista, but again, there's just not there's not enough there. You, you come into the season relying on George Contos as your setup man when he's really never done it before except for September last season. There wasn't really a seventh inning guy. Again, they, they really gambled on minor league free agents, trade acquisitions, including Josh Smoker, who remains in AAA. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Richard Rodriguez has been one of their best relievers. That's not a good sign, Tim. So, in fact, yeah, Felipe did well last night, but Felipe's done well at a few times this season, only to revert back to bad habits where he can't hit the strike zone, walks, tipping pitches, whatever, anything you can name a pitcher can do wrong, Felipe's done wrong this year. So, again, I'm, I'm like you. Every time I write something positive about one of those, <laughs> about one of those guys, they end up imploding. Dickerson, Cervelli, Harrison, freeze of those four if i made you guess on each one how many of them are still on the team after the trade deadline i think mercer mercer's definitely gone i can't imagine oh, yeah, i didn't even say team. mercer okay i'll put him in as yeah. a fifth all right okay yeah for agent at the end of the year plus with newman pretty much ready ready to go i think Mer- mercer is gone david freeze if they can find 
an interesting a team that's interested in him at the moment. He needs a plus defender, but he isn't hitting well. He's not been the greatest bench player. And he's he's outspoken. People know what they're going to get. Um, Cervelli's on the concussion DL, and I don't know if he'll be healthy enough to even be traded at this point. I think keep Dickerson because his value is not what it could be either. His power numbers are way down. He hasn't been good for the past month. So, and I don't know who's going to watch Harrison at ten million dollars, Tim. I mean. How much are you going to get there? He doesn't get on base enough. He strikes out too often. He's an, a pretty good defender. I don't know. I just They're going to have to take lesser value to get rid of Josh Harrison at this point, and I don't think Kevin Kramer is ready yet to, to step in. So I say Harrison stays. Mercer's the only one I think right now is for sure. I would, I would think is gone at the deadline. Dickers. Nova could be among them too. I, it wouldn't shock me at all if Nova's gone because it's, the Kingham's there, and they could put him in that rotation. And Keller's pitching well too, right? Yeah, and he'll he'll get he'll get moved up to AAA. They like Clay Holmes, who's now in the bullpen here. You still got Brawlton Glass now, who they still see as starting pitchers. And Nova's pitched extremely well lately. Wouldn't shock me at all if a team comes in, and because that's a reasonable price tag for a proven starting pitcher. The Dickerson thing is so funny because like. Pirates fans love to say, oh, look at him, he chokes up on the bat. It's like an old-school baseball player. He'll go the other way and beat the shift. And then they go, how come he doesn't hit for more power? Yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> you you can't praise him for being the anti-power guy and then complain about him not hitting for power. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, he made an adjustment to address. He was really bad on four-seam fastballs last year. His chase rate was the worst in Major League Baseball. So he decided, okay, I'll start choking up. And he's doing that. And now he's trying to find a happy medium between, okay, trying to slash it the other way and do that two-strike approach while also hitting for power. So that's kind of resulted in some of his issues over the past few weeks. And all involved seem confident he'll start hitting for power. But again, I mean, the numbers are real, as Clint Hurdle would say. Yeah, everything everything that's important is real with Hurdle. <laughs> uh, okay, Lance, thanks. Appreciate it. Hey, uh, by the way, have you mentioned or have you talked about – maybe you haven't realized it, I don't know, but I feel like in watching the games for as often as I was at Shea – and all the planes would fly overhead all the time. I feel like there's even more that fly over the new park. Am I right? Oh, it's it's constant. I've never it's seen not, like, like it's, it. It's annoying to actually listen to on a broadcast. It's actually annoying. I don't remember being annoyed by it listening to the games before it shade, but I was bothered by it last night. I can't imagine like actually playing, you know, and having like being in the outfield and having a plane flying over you. I mean, it's not like they're exactly quiet, and there's not a whole lot of fans in the in the stands these days here. So you're going to hear those planes quite well. When I play softball, I get mad if a minivan with kids pulls up behind me, let alone a 747. Yeah, Tim, well, you're kind of a curmudgeon, I guess. That is true. Well, yeah, I just don't like children. <laughs> let let the kids be happy. All right, thanks, Lance. Appreciate it. Thanks anytime. All right, that is Lance Lysowski from DK Pittsburgh Sports. Dot com talking about the pirates and he really thinks they have talent huh oh man i maybe more in the minors than they do here like don't, don't you think he made a better case in his argument that they are going to contend that the case for them contending is better than the case that they actually have talent i would yeah say. because he started to say how, how bad the rest of the division, division is. is and how winnable it still might be yeah. and so forth so like that to me is a bit of a different argument than how talented they really are I do just want to see the all Seinfeld infield of Newman and Kramer. Like that's that's going to be a big day when that happens. Okay, uh, back to our rabbit hole conversation. When we come back here to open up the next hour, I found the most dead spinny thing ever in like in Listville that exists in June where there's nothing else to write about. You're going to hate this. I'll give it to you when you come. You're going to hate this, but you're going to like the Ben Roethlisberger conversation that we're going to get into. That's next coming up. Tim Benson for Adam.